The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Today is another entry in our Personal Courage series, honoring the women and men who've served their nation in times of war and other conflict. This episode honors America's fighter aces. The Museum of Flight is home to the American Fighter Aces Association. For those who don't know, a fighter ace is someone who achieves five verified aerial combat victories, basically meaning that they shot down five enemy planes. The AFAA preserves the legacy of these men of valor, and the museum is proud to host their collection. Ali Lane is a digitization specialist at the museum who has spent countless hours now digitizing the dozens of oral histories in that collection and I sat down with her to listen to some of the highlights. Well, Ali Lane, welcome to the Flight Deck. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Can you share a little bit about what you do here at the museum? Yes, um, I am a digitization specialist for the archives department, and I am essentially in charge of creating our digital assets and keeping them all organized and findable. And you've done a lot of work on the American Fighter Aces Association Oral History Collection. I have, yes. Yeah, digitizing all those and making them accessible. So today you've brought excerpts from longer oral histories from the American Fighter Aces Association Collection? Yeah, these are some of the highlights from what I have captured so far. So let's take a look at our first one here from the oral history of Gregory Damon. What can you tell me about uh, Gregory Damon? Gregory was a United States citizen who actually joined the Royal Air Force in 1939 or 1940, somewhere around there because he actually spent a summer touring England and mainland Europe just prior to the outbreak of war. And at one point, he was invited to an air show in Bavaria, which turned out to be something akin to a Hitler Youth Rally. And this experience of seeing Nazi Germany firsthand had a lasting impact on on Damon and really influenced his, his decision to essentially get into the war early from a United States perspective. Well, so this is an interesting perspective, him talking a little bit about his time in Germany. Yes, it's reflecting on what he saw and kind of the feeling it left in him and his ultimate decision to join the Royal Air Force. Put your headphones on probably would be best for this because all of these clips, I'll give a heads up, are restored audio to a point. So uh, some of them can be tough to hear, but very interesting to hear. So I'd recommend headphones for listening to these. We'll let Gregory Damon speak for himself in this three-minute clip. As the war progressed and uh, the German armies just went through Europe about as fast as the slowest truck could go, by the time they had really hauled all the way through Europe and the Germans were uh, surrounding the British at Dunkirk, I thought, well, you know, the simple fact is these guys are going to take England. I was pretty sure they were going to at that point. And I had been to England, and I liked the people, and I thought, well, I think I have a, a little bit to offer. And really, it's 
you know, I just, I think probably it was the seeking of adventure and the fact that I had a feeling about the Nazi thing that perhaps some of the other fellows who went over, it didn't occur to them because you have to, you have to step on the ground and walk around inside of a city where there are secret police and sense the attitude and the, the way the people feel and talk and think and feel that tension in the air. You can just sort of cut it with a knife. You have to, uh, there's no way to describe it. And I was not any, uh, certainly not an expert on Germany, having been there for <laughs> probably three or four days, you know. <laughs> but uh, I knew I wanted to fly more than I could afford. School was really shutting me off from flying. Just took a lot of time. Long, hard drive in my old hot rod, you know. <coughs> So I went down and talked, and I don't know how I even found this guy. I'm not so sure I sought him out. I think I heard about him at the airport, you know. There's a guy in a garage that's signing up people for something, you know. And I went down and talked to this guy, and he was, um, I don't remember his name. I know Gene Tobin told me he went through the same garage, and we laughed at this guy. <laughs> Uh, he was going to form up this squadron. He was going over and lead this group. And uh, I expressed a desire. I said, well, this kind of thing, uh, you probably won't live through it, but it just doesn't happen very often. You know, you can either do your stuff or not do your stuff. And I had one intuition which was quite correct, and that was, Sooner or later, this whole thing is going to cover the entire world, you know, and I'm going to be in this damn war anyway. Uh, why not put out when it will... Um, where I think it will do the most good. Next oral history comes to us from Harold Comstock. Tell me a little bit about Harold Comstock. Harold was a U.S. Army Air Forces pilot who flew in the European theater during World War II. And this clip is actually a story about Polish fighter ace Mike Gladich, who emigrated to Washington State after the war. So he's kind of both a local and an international hero. Gladich rescued Comstock during a particularly difficult dogfight but then got into trouble himself later on in the mission. Comstock was too far away to help, but he could hear Gladich over the radio describing the dire straits he was in and pretty much saying his goodbyes because Gladich thought he was about to be killed. But um, there's a happy ending to this one, which I will let Mr. Comstock tell. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll jump right into this one. This is about a three-and-a-half-minute clip of the oral history of Harold Comstock. Uh, he had me pretty well dead to rights eventually. He was going to nail me. And uh, about that time, this big black thunderbolt with uh, red, red letters on the side slipped in behind the FW and uh, really closed on him, closed right up, right up behind him. And uh, the FW uh, pulled it in, and then all of a sudden this FW snaps, and in he goes. Uh, into the rock quarry. Uh, the Black Thunderbolt I, I knew belonged to Mike Gladich, uh, who was a Polish squadron leader uh, who was uh, flying with us at that time. And uh, I called up Mike, and uh, 
you know, thanked him for, for doing what he did and asked him if he was going to go home because that's where I was going to go. And he uh, said, no, he was going to go back, climb back up and uh, join his squadron. I said, well, you know, I'll talk to you later. And I started home. I was alone. And uh, But in any event, uh, I'm, oh, probably... Uh, halfway through Holland, and I hear I hear Gladich uh, on the on the uh, radio, and uh, he's got three FWs on him, and uh, they've got him boxed in. And uh, every time he makes a move, why well, one of them fires, and he's got it firewalled now. And the thing that turned out to be uh, so uh, so heartrending was that. Uh, he uh, he knew that he was going to get killed, and he told us he just this was in the clear. Uh, he just talking to anybody who would listen, and uh, you know what nice guys the Americans were, and uh, how much he he liked us, and uh, and he described what these guys were doing every time he would make a turn, why the one on either side would have him. And he described that uh, whenever the guy in the middle would open fire, why well, he would snap roll the airplane and, and uh, then quickly recover and uh, try and, and make a little more progress towards England. But uh, eventually uh, uh, there was no more radio transmission from Mike and uh, uh, you know, that, was, uh, that was the end of him. Uh, we figured that the three had gotten him. Uh, we were eating dinner that night, uh, and uh, our uh, much moth bedraggled looking pole comes walking in with his parachute uh, in his arms, and uh, it seems as though he had bailed out right on the coast of England and uh, uh, had survived uh, had survived the uh, the attack and uh, survived walking through the minefield. And I was in home in, in time for dinner. Uh, Mike now lives up in Issaquah, Washington, and uh, certainly I owe him a, a great debt of gratitude. We have one more oral history left, then, from uh, Bill Chick. Yes, Bill uh, was a U.S. Army Air Forces pilot who flew in the Mediterranean theater during World War II and then went on to fly fighter jets after the war, which is pretty cool. He retired as a colonel in 1958. Bill tells a story about a bomber escort mission in 1944 over northern Italy. He shot down an ME-109 during the dogfight, but just before that, both planes accidentally ended up underneath the B-17 bombers just as they released their bombs. So that was a harrowing experience in and mm-hmm. of itself. But the story doesn't end there because he actually met that ME-109 pilot years later while he was serving on a mission in Bolivia. I just can't even imagine what the odds of that are. A story of a random connection that just kind of comes together here. Uh, really? Well, this is Bill Chick's two-and-a-half-minute excerpt from his oral history. And uh, we were called the Checker Tail Clan. And uh, the idea was that the bombers would go up there and appear to be unescarted while we were going up on the deck, 48 P-47s, and the word, word was, if you any, saw anybody get over 50 feet high, shoot them down. 
So uh, we stayed right on the water all the way up to Venice. And at Venice, well, we went into full power and started climbing. Well, boy, Jerry was up. So uh, my room, my tent mate, Herky Greens, called out that he'd sighted some down low, so I said, go get him, her. And I continued to climb up towards the bombers, and there was ME 109s uh, going after them, too. So anyway, uh, I was after one ME 109, and another one got in my way, so I shot it, shot it down in the, on, the, on the way into the second one. And uh, these, this guy was after my wingman. He's on my wingman's tail. So anyway, I started after him, and uh, he was doing hijinks and everything else, trying to get rid of me and doing a pretty good job. And all of a sudden, he straightened out. And I wondered why. And I looked up above, and there we were, right under the B-17s. Their bomb bay doors were open, and it looked like the sky was full of fly specks. I knew they'd been loaded with frag bombs. And uh, so then my thought was to pass this ME-109 and get out of there faster. So we got out from underneath the bombers, and then I, I nailed him. Well, the, the funny part about the whole deal is, years later, I was the chief of the Air Force mission to La Paz, Bolivia, and I used to go into Lima, Peru quite often. There was this German, I could tell by his accent, that drove the station wagon for the Creon Hotel. He used to pick us up at the airport and take us into the hotel. He was a nice guy, and I got to talking to him. And I asked him what he was doing during the war. He said, well, he's an ME-109 pilot. And I said, well, have you we ever shot down? He said, yeah, three times. Twice by B-17s and once by a P-47. I said, well, where does P-47 shoot down happen? He says, over Udine. And he named the date, and it was the date. And then... Uh, I said, uh, well, I told him the story about me trying to pass this guy in an ME-109 because I wanted out of him underneath those frag bombs. He looked at me and he said, sir, he said, I think you shot me down. Because that's what I was doing too. Thank you for joining me today on The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. These excerpts were part of larger oral histories in a huge collection of oral histories that we are pleased to announce are available to the public for the first time ever. After years and years of Allie's work digitizing, now anyone can listen to these and dozens of other oral histories. All you need is an internet connection. Information is in this episode's show notes. And like I said before, these oral histories are part of the larger American Fighter Aces Association collection. If you want to learn more about the AFAA, you will find a link to their website in our show notes. And of course, if you visit the museum's personal courage wing, you'll find many artifacts from that collection on display in the World War I and World War II exhibits. Make sure you subscribe to the Flight Deck to stay up to date on our episodes. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can email the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. And until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs>